1860. His face was lean and haggard, and the brown parchment-like skin was drawn tightly over the projecting bones. His long brown hair and beard were all flecked and dashed with white. His eyes were sunken in his head and burned with an unnatural luster, while the hand which grasped his rifle was hardly more fleshy than that of a skeleton. As he stood, he leaned upon his weapon for support, and yet his tall figure and the massive framework of his bones suggested a wiry and vigorous constitution. His gaunt face, however, and his clothes which hung so baggily over his shriveled limbs, proclaimed what it was that gave him that senile and decrepit appearance. The man was dying, dying from hunger and from thirst. He had toiled painfully down the ravine and onto this little elevation, in the vain hope of seeing more signs of water. Now the great salt plain stretched before his eyes, and the distant belt of savage mountains, without a sign anywhere of a plant or tree, which might indicate the presence of moisture. In all that broad landscape there was no gleam of hope. North and east and west he looked, with wild, questioning eyes, and then he realized that his wanderings had come to an end, and that there on that barren crag he was about to die. Why not here as well as in a feather bed? Twenty years hence, he muttered, as he seated himself in the shelter of a boulder. Before sitting down, he had deposited upon the ground his useless rifle, and also a large bundle tied up in a grey shawl, which he carried slung over his right shoulder. It appeared to be somewhat too heavy for his strength, for in lowering it, it came down on the ground with some little violence. Instantly there broke from the grey parcel a little moaning cry, and from it there protruded a small scared face with very bright brown eyes, and two little speckled dimpled fists. You've hurt me, said a childish voice, reproachfully. Have I though, my little one? The man answered penitently. I didn't go for to do it. As he spoke, he unwrapped the grey shawl, and extricated a pretty little girl of about five years of age, whose dainty shoes and smart pink frock, with his little linen apron, all bespoke a mother's care. The child was pale and wan, but her healthy arms and legs showed that she had suffered less than her companion. How is it now? He answered anxiously, for she was still rubbing the tussy golden curls which covered the back of her head. Kiss it and make it well, she said with perfect gravity, showing the injured part up to him. That's what mother used to do. Where's mother? Mother's gone. I guess you'll see her before long. Gone, said the little girl. Funny she didn't say goodbye. She most always did, if she was going, over to auntie's for tea. And now she's been away three days. It's awful dry, ain't it? Ain't there no water, or nothing to eat? No, there ain't nothing, dearie. You'll just need to be patient a while, and then you'll be all right. Put your head up again, me, like that, and then you'll feel bullier. It ain't easy to talk when your lips are like leather, but I guess I'd best let you know how the cards lie. What's that you got? Pretty things. Fine things, cried the little girl enthusiastically, holding up two glittering fragments of mica. When we goes back home, I'll give them to Brother Bob. You'll see prettier things than them soon, said the man. Now you just wait a bit. I was going to tell you, though, you remember when we left the river? Uh, oh, yes. Well, we reckon we'd strike another river soon. You see? But there was something wrong. Compasses or maps or something. And it didn't turn up. Water ran out. Just except a little drop for the likes of you. And, uh, and... And you couldn't wash yourself, interrupted his companion, staring up at his grimy visage. No, no drink. And Mr. Bender, he was the first to go. And then Indian Pete. And then Mrs. McGregor. And then Johnny Holmes. And then, dearie, your mama. 
mother's a deader too, cried the little girl, dropping her face in her pinafore and sobbing bitterly. Yeah, they all went except you and me. Then I thought there was some chance of water in this direction. So I heaved you over my shoulder and we tramped it together. It don't seem we've improved matters. There's an almighty small chance for us now. Do you mean that we're going to die too? Asked the child, checking her sobs and raising her tear-stained face. Guess that's about the size of it. Why didn't you say so before? She said, laughing gleefully. You gave me such a fright. Why, of course. As long as we die, we'll be with Mama. Yes, you will, me dearie. And you too. I'll tell her how awful good you've been. I'll bet she meets us at the door of heaven with a big pitcher of water and a lot of buckwheat cakes, hot and toasted on both sides, like Bob and me was fond of. How long will it be first? I don't know, not very long. The man's eyes were fixed upon the northern horizon, in the blue vault of the heavens.